We all know the Christmas story. At least we think we do. We could all tell some version of it. Angel is visiting Mary. Yo, shit. Did he die? No. Um, did he dark woods? The Latter King? Maybe we don't know the whole story. Um, I don't know. They're singing hallelujah. Hallelujah. But what if we looked deeper at what really happened? The bad guy king. He thought he should be the king. They are giving baby Jesus the presents that they brought. Maybe there's more to the Christmas story. I did a good job. All righty. Once again, good morning. My name is Ephraim Peña. I am the campus pastor here, uh, and it is uh, truly a blessing to, to be sharing with you this morning. Um, let me be the first to say to you, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And uh, no matter how hard you, you stop, or no matter if you stop looking at the calendar or don't play any Christmas music, Christmas is here. It is here. It is here. I've, I've uh, Unlike... Chanel, who said they've been listening to Christmas music for a little bit, I try to push it a little bit further because once you start, you can't stop. You start, you get it from everywhere. Every radio station is playing, and uh, and so, um, but Christmas is here. Christmas is here, no matter how much you try to push it away. And today we're kicking off an incredible brand new series uh, titled "Christmas at South Hills." Every year, uh, we come up with an opportunity of the year to. Uh, invite people to come out and hang out with us uh, for the last month of the year. Uh, we provide events and opportunities for families to do life. Uh, this morning, some of you came just for the snow and be like, do I got to really sit here and listen to him talk for 30 minutes? Uh, yeah, you do. Uh, the snow will be out there, and uh, if you let me continue to talk, then we can get out there quicker, right? And so, um, but we're doing a lot of, a lot of just family events uh, throughout the month, um, and it's our opportunity, again, to present an atmosphere, create an atmosphere where people are welcome and received with love and have a great time hanging out with us. Now, most of us know uh, the Christmas story, right? Maybe you watched the movie. Maybe you have your own rendition of it. Uh, maybe Christmas is all about the elf to you. You know, I don't know. But we all have some kind of version of what the Christmas story is, right? But the truth of the matter is that stories aren't just about plot points, right? Stories are a little bit more about that. They're actually about people. When we share stories, chances are we are sharing stories about people. And um, this incredible story of Christmas, right, we, we, we all kind of have our own understanding of what Christmas is. We've heard it before. We, we've had our parents read the story. We've read it to our kids. We've seen movies. We've, we've, seen, we've seen it all. But the truth of the matter is that, that underneath or, or deeper inside the Christmas story, there, there's more than meets the eye. There are stories that are embedded in the Christmas story that many of us probably do not know. And we should be asking questions like, why did God choose these people? Why did God choose these people and why did he choose them at this time in human history to tell such a significant and important story? And if we were to push past that, Right, push past what, what God did 
in this story and take a deeper look at who he did it through, what might you see that you didn't see before? So instead of just reading the, the Christmas story for what you have known for so many years, what if we began to dive in and dig in a little bit deeper? How might Christmas come alive for all of us when we breathe new life into what it was really like for these people? And so this entire series, we're going to be dissecting the Christmas story. And maybe you're not going to hear your traditional Christmas message that you've been used to, uh, that you've been used to hearing. And so allow me over the next few minutes to begin to, to dive in a little bit more and get a little bit deeper and hopefully un, un, unravel some things for you that you would say, wow, I didn't understand that or I never saw that like that before. So let's jump right into it. As always, I like to start my messages with a, a thought-provoking question. And the question is this, have you ever thought back of a time, right, whether that was maybe a few months ago, maybe a few years ago, or maybe it was actually a long time ago, where you did something, you did something that, that earned you a nickname that you were not too proud of, nickname that you didn't like whatsoever, a nickname that just hurt your feelings, right? Anybody? Anybody been there? I'll share, I'll share you my, my story. Now, my story is not, not too long ago. It, it started back in 2010 when my wife and I decided to leave California and go to, to what I call the motherland, to go to Puerto Rico and plant an English-speaking church in a Spanish-speaking community. Don't laugh. That's what God called me to do, all right? And so I, am, I know it's a little crazy. So we went out. And, and, and we, we went out and we started to plant a church. And I made a lot of friends out there, but one in particular who, who I hold dearly to my heart, um, a good friend of mine that started to, to help us do what God had called us to do. And one of the first things he noticed about me and, and that I started to do, and he immediately tagged a nickname to me, which I was not too proud of. He started to call me a gringo. And I looked at him like, why are you doing that? What's that all about? You mad? You angry about something? You got hurt feelings? Why you got to call me that? Like, like, what gives? He goes, because you are a whitewashed Puerto Rican. And I'm like, a whitewashed Puerto Rican? He goes, yeah, you, you Puerto Rican by, 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 by birth, but your Spanish is horrible. And I was like, that's because I, I speak Spanglish. Like, that was like something to be proud of. And it wasn't. And so he, he, he decided to call me a gringo, and that name, has he still calls me that, even though my Spanish has gotten a lot better. All right? And I didn't like it, and I still don't like it. But the name has stuck around. Okay? These are the, the nicknames or, or, the, or the things that happen to us when we actually do something that someone wants to attach a name to. All right? We all have these moments in our lives. Some aren't as funny as others, though. Some are actually scarring. They're hurtful. They open up wounds. Some are related to moments we can't seem to, to shake off, right? We we're, we're almost feel like we're chained and shackled to it. But the thing is that everybody makes mistakes. 
Everybody does things that they're not proud of or, or says things that, or say things that, that we're like, oh, I can't believe that they came out of my mouth, right? Or we just seem desperate that those around them find socially awkward, right? And so these names begin to, to be tagged on us. And we all hope we're able to move past it at some point, leave it behind, and not be defined by it. But sometimes, unfortunately, we can't. Sometimes those, those names stick around. Sometimes those names just go wherever we go. However, in the age of, of social media, there's a growing nervousness over doing something that will stigmatize you for the rest of your life. Because everyone is posting on social media, and you don't want to be that one. The one that somebody posted a video or a picture of. Ask my teenage daughter, if the picture ain't right, Dad, you cannot post it. If it doesn't have the right angle, if it doesn't have the right look, I'm like, so what? Who cares? Nobody's going to, no, Dad, you can't. You can't post it. You can't put it out there. Like literally, she would try to untag herself off of it, right? And, and, and that's just the world we live in today. People who don't want to be stigmatized for something that, that I have. To, can I tell you I have so many funny pictures of my girls? I, I can't wait till we get older so I can just start posting them out. Because I, I got them. We were posting them within a, a social group of ours as family and friends of pictures. We were like, ooh, they saw this one. And we got them in all like faces. And, and so, but here's the thing, the society, we don't want our pictures or the bad things that are going on in our life to be put out there. Why? Because it's going to be labeled. People are going to start saying things. We think, is this going to be me forever? If this picture gets out, if this story gets out, if, if someone says something, is, am I going to be labeled, labeled like this forever? And this isn't really a social media problem. It's, it's, as, as, it's not really a social media problem as much as, as it is a human being problem. We are all instinctively, we all instinctively know that we need com a community. We all know that, that God created us to be connected with one another. We all know that we were meant to do life with one another because we have a deep desire to belong. And when something comes against belonging, it rattles our cages. It throws up red flags. Because we hate the idea of doing something that would push us to the outside of whatever circle we wish to be on the inside of. Think of those moments and times where, where you looked from the outskirts, man, I wish I could be a part of that group. Or I wish I could hang out with this group of people. Or I wish I was accepted, you know, to do this. I wish I was acknowledged for being a part of that. We, we, our desire inside of us wants us to be part of the bigger picture. But we all know that there are things that we say, things that we do, or people just are mean and exclude us from being on the inside. But sometimes... We don't realize we've done something, said something, before it's too late. So what then? What do we do then? For some of us, that's why the holidays are, are more 
more hurtful than happy. They're a reminder of what happened, of what we did, or the circumstances that unfolded to leave us disconnected, isolated, and alone. The holidays are hard because they don't represent to us the togetherness that it should. Or, that, or, or at least seem to be what everyone else perceives. My daughter, who's in, uh, my oldest daughter who lives in Florida, my heart broke on Thanksgiving because she was alone and she felt isolated. She felt like her family is here in California and she is by herself. And as much as I wanted to celebrate all of the goodness, uh, the, the, the greatness, that togetherness that Thanksgiving brought, part of my heart was torn to pieces because my oldest was 3,000 miles away feeling lonely in her bed and not even Thanksgiving dinner with me. Friends, I can't tell you how difficult that is. In fact, the very, this very idea was embedded into the Christmas story. We're going to read from chapter uh, Luke chapter 2. And uh, you've probably heard this story a thousand times. You, you, you probably know it by heart. You've, you've read it. You, you've shared it with other people. But uh, I'm going to hopefully d- dive in a little bit deeper and expose some things for you. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 20. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in the strips of cloth, laying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was rejoined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. There was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone uh, what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, we've all heard that story. We've all read it at some point or another. This is the story about Jesus' birth. But this is also the story of how the ultimate outsiders were given the good news first. There are details in this story that are absolutely remarkable, but only if you understand the cultural context. In other words, knowing the people, the place, and the time. Many scholars believe that the shepherds in the Christmas story, the shepherds in this story, were local criminals living out their sentence. 
And because they spent all day with sheep, everywhere they went, the scent, the aroma of shame followed them. Everyone could smell that they did not belong because of something they had done. The most hurtful punishment church anyone could think of back then was ostracization. Banishing them to the hillside, away from family and friends, to go watch sheep alongside the other rejects. Not much has changed, right? Not much has changed. Being ostracized is still the most hurtful thing that could happen to someone, even if it's unintentional. Even if they didn't mean to. They may not even know that they did. But we live in a society today where we continue to push people out. Where we continue to alienate people. Where we continue to categorize people. And put him on the outside. Ever remember the, the Fred Flintstone where, where they take Fred, he takes the, the dinosaur, he puts it outside, right, and he closes the door and eventually they flip it on Fred and he's the one on the outside knocking on the door. It's funny, but have you ever been on the outside trying to knock to get in? Those moments stick with us for the rest of our lives. Some of you know exactly what this feels like. And some of you, it's, it, it's the source of your deep pain. Maybe you were, you were on the inside of something, whether that be a group, uh, a team, an organization, a friendship, a relationship, your family, and you were pushed out. Or maybe you have always felt like you've been on the outside looking in. It's not a good feeling whatsoever. But here's the thing, no one in the ancient culture at this time in history would have thought the shepherds, these people that were serving their sentence up in the hills, away from, from, from the common folks, away from people that, that did life, they were pushed out to the side. No one would have thought that the shepherds would have been included in this incredible, divinely driven, exclusive world-class news. But they were, because that's exactly what happened. When God had the opportunity to make the big announcement, the outsiders were the ones he chose to uh, bring in on the news first, because that is who God is. We serve an incredible God who cares about the people on the outskirts, about the people that have been cast away. There was an ancient prophecy describing a figure called the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one the angels came to announce, the one who will set the world right again. In fact, this prophecy was so core to who Jesus is that he read, uh, that he read these words from the scroll um, in the temple to announce his ministry. And it says, the Spirit, in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. 
In other words, he's addressing the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, and those who mourn. This is who Jesus came to rescue, church. This is who he came to love. This is who he came to be with. And this is incredibly good news because all of us, everyone in here today, fits in one of these categories. These are the descriptions we all carry, but no one wants to admit to. I don't have enough. I got my heart broken. I feel stuck. I can't seem to shake this addiction. I don't know how to reboot this destructive relational dynamic I find myself in. I've, I've lost something that I cannot get back. And I feel like I'll never be victorious. I'll never overcome. I'll never be on the inside of it. Church, if we don't admit to these things, right, the things that we're going through, the, the things where, that have pushed us to the outside, right, these are the things that make us feel like outsiders, that, that we're unworthy of love and acceptance from people and, and maybe even from God himself. And for some, the church hasn't helped either. The church has been leading the pack in ostracizing people. The church has been the ones that have said, you know what, if you don't fit this mold, then I don't know if church is for you. If you don't think, if you don't act, if you don't speak, if you don't, you don't do things the way we should do it, then I don't know if church is for you. And I'll be the first to admit that that is absolutely wrong. Because we just read who Jesus came for. Jesus came for those that see or find themselves on the outside. Those who are brokenhearted. Those who are struggling. Those who are in pain. Those who, who feel like, man, no one loves me. Our past experiences with religion or the religious have made us feel like we don't belong with them or on the inside of what God is doing at all. And the religious people of Jesus' day treated others the same exact way. They shamed and ostracized and made those who didn't measure up feel less than or on the outside of. And Jesus consistently pushed back. Jesus consistently stood his ground against that idea. But not just as a teacher, his birth announcement did the same. You know that nativity scene that you have? You know the little cute little figurines that you put in under the tree or on a shelf on the mantle. Some of them are carved by wood. Some of them are plastic. Some of them are, are you know, they break. Some of them you glue together. Because your kid kicked it, right? Jesus, little baby Jesus flew to the corner, right? That little nativity scene is intended to bluntly announce that God is here and this is what he's up to. That little scene that we take for granted, that little scene that we've seen the kids act out, right? That little scene, we've seen it so many times that we don't really pay much mind to. But that particular scene has so much value once you understand who the people were 
that God used and the purpose of why he used those people. I'm going to wrap this up this morning. Some of you are thinking about the snow outside and getting on the, on the, on the sleigh and, and whatnot. But I'm going to wrap here this morning. I don't know how many of you came to Christ. I don't know how, um, where you are right now in your walk with, with Jesus and, or whether you're feeling ostracized or, or on the outside looking in. But I will tell you this. There was a moment in my life where I was on the outside looking in. There was a moment in my life where I felt like the people inside the church or people who were inside had their life together. And because I didn't have my life together, because I didn't dress the part, because I didn't look the part, because I didn't know what to say, how to say it, I could never step foot through the doors. And what made it even worse was that the more I thought about it, the colder or more calloused I got. Because there were people who said, yeah, you can come in, but you need to fix this. Yeah, you can come in. Yeah, yeah, we'll love on you, but you, you, can't, you can't do this. Or you can't say this. And the more I heard that, the less I wanted to be a part of that. Because I felt like if these people who God created cannot love me, then why would I need to be in this? If these people who say they love God cannot accept me where I'm at, because I'll be the first to admit I don't have it all right. I don't have it all together. In fact, I lived 27 years of my life messing my life up. But there was somebody who said, you know what, I'm going to love him with this Jesus love. I'm going to love him despite his setbacks, despite his wrong turns. I'm going to accept him for who he is and trust that when God gets a hold of his life, he's going to do something incredible. At the age of 27, I, I gave my heart to Christ and I entered the church doors for the very first time of understanding that I was broken and in need. And someone loved me. Someone embraced me. Someone said, you don't have to have it all together, dude. This is why you come to church. To let God be God and do what only God can do. And so this morning as I wrap this message up, how do we put this into play, Pastor E? How do we, how do we begin to move? How do we begin to, to, to be more like Jesus? How do we begin to love more like Jesus? Because I'm tired of, of playing this, this exclusive part of being a church. That only the Christians get to come in. 
only the Christians get to hang out. You know what that is? That's a country club. If I've offended you, it's not what I'm about. I'm not in the business of building country clubs. I'm in the business of loving and accepting people where they're at. Regardless of, they, of where they find themselves. So how do we put this into play? How do we as believers, followers of Jesus, how do we begin to, to, to take people from the outside and bring them in? How do we do our part in rescuing and redeeming the world? Because I cannot be the only one that has family members that I love that don't know Jesus. I cannot be the only one that has friends that don't serve Jesus. I cannot be the only one that encounters people on a daily basis who find themselves without Jesus, looking for hope, looking for answers, looking for someone to love them where they're at instead of trying to make them fit in to what we perceive as the church. I got one bit of advice, and that is if you're going to invite someone in, then intentionally, with everything you've got, include those others have left out. Because it's easy to invite your, 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 your homebodies, right? It's easy to invite, hey, this is my friend, this is my homie, this is my girl, this is my people I do live, this is my cousin Tata, this is my, my friend Pedro, right? This is my neighbor, he gives me azúcar when I need it, when he gives me sugar, right? It's easy to invite people we know, right? But it's super not easy, <laughs> To invite people that find themselves on the outside, the people that gave you a dirty look, the people that you that talk about you, the people that, that kind of cut in line. When was the last time you smiled at the person that cut you in line? Yeah, I know. I live in the same world you live in. See, these are the people that that, that we need to invite, that we need to include, the people that, that dress kind of funny. The people that, that don't think like you, the people that don't act like you, we need to find ways to include them in. Because if you're keep trying to keep up with the Christmas tradition and the way things Christian do it, and I want to tell you that Christianity is, ex is about expanding the definition but who gets to be included? Not minimizing it. We're about opening the doors to everyone that wants to come in. And not trying to create a criteria before you say good morning and God bless you. This is why at South Hills, we have a core value that says we want our church family to reflect the diversity of humanity. In other words, all of you people inside here, we want it to look exactly inside here as it does outside. And the only way we can do that is if we open the doors wide open and start saying, you know what? Regardless of what you think, what you believe, what you act like, say whatever, you come. I want you to come. You don't believe in Jesus, still come, right? 
Your kids are bouncing off the wall? Still come. You want an hour of free babysitting? Come. Some of us take more advantage than others. I get that. That's why some of you are two services. I get it. But here's the thing. If this room inside here does not look like our community, then we're doing something absolutely wrong. Somehow, somewhere, we've misdirected people. Somehow, someway, we've told people that they cannot come through these doors because they don't fit in to our country club. I said it when I landed here a year ago, a year and a half ago. I don't care where people are at in their world. My job is to make sure they get connected to Jesus. At the end of the day, I'm not the one who saves. My job is to connect them to the one who does. And that should be your job as well. As a pastor of this church, I would do anything short of sin to get people to come to know Jesus. If I got to get up on that little hill and get on a sleigh and crack my back all the way down, then guess what? That's what I shall do. But I want people to never feel like they're on the outside looking in. Here's the thing. This core value, we didn't make it up. We didn't sit there on a table and say, oh, we need to think of something that, you know, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, let's put that down. No, we actually stole it. We stole it from the Christmas story. Christians are thieves. They are. We sold that from the Christmas story. Now, I wonder how others' image of God might be. The people that you have relationship with, the people that you know, how their image of God would be redeemed because despite what they've done or where they've been or what sort of reputation or nicknames they've acquired along the way, you made it abundantly clear to them that God is inviting them in. That the good news he brings is for all the people. Not just for the oversaved people. And that includes them. And because of that, they fit in with God. They fit in with you. They, like the shepherds, deserve a front row seat. Not because of something that they've done or not done, but simply because of who God is. Simply because that's the way God intended it to be. I could probably write you a list of about, easily, off the top of my head, about 50 to 60 people that I have relationship with that I still have not found Jesus. And those people I pray for and those people I'm constantly inviting, I'm encouraging them to go find a church where they live because I want them to experience the love and the acceptance that I did 
Because once they experience the love and acceptance that I once did and continue to do today, they'll also begin to walk and experience life in a whole new way. A life of transformation will begin to unfold. And God will begin to do something that only God can do. So I encourage you. Start finding your friends. Start finding the people that you see sitting on the outskirts. And begin to do everything in your power to include them. Maybe you got to add them to the Christmas card list. Some of you have Christmas cards. You have them all your friends. You all the people that you, you love. And then when you get to that person, oh, they're not getting a card from me. Not this year. I want to encourage you to rewrite their name and maybe include them. Maybe include them in that phone call. Maybe include them in the, the gift, the giving portion of it. Maybe invite them to church. We as believers should be all about including people. Amen.